everybody. Welcome back to another episode of I've Got Questions, a pre-modern podcast. My name is William Hurst. As always, we are coming at you live and direct from Misty Mountain Games, hence any noise in the background. Mr. Brian Kowal is also not really my special guest, but he's kind of wandering around in the background, getting ready for fun activities. But yeah, yeah. I didn't even introduce the guest yet. So we're going to... Yep, yep, yep. Um, so... Today, we have a very special guest, a local here from Madison, Wisconsin, a name not many of you know, but should be knowing if you've been paying attention and will continue to know because I don't think the success will stop. We have my friend Nathan, and I'm going to say your last name. I always get it wrong. Marhefki. That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> Wins all day. You take those. <laughs> um, Nathan, what's going on, my friend? How you doing? Uh, nothing's going on, but I'm doing great. Uh, happy to be talking about some pre-modern. Absolutely. And I love having you here because for those of you who don't know, and was, we're not watching uh, Misty coverage, Nathan came in second at our second annual pre, uh, Midwest Pre-Modern Championships here at Misty Mountain Games, losing to the, uh, the pinnacle of Sam Black. And... Fun facts mentioned on stream. Actually, I don't even know if it was mentioned on stream. Only three people have won Misty Mountain events for pre-modern. That would be Sam Black, two in a row. That would be moi, winning two. And the other one was won by Nathan Marhefke right here, playing Parfait. Now, you have a bit of a talent with uh, pre-modern. Uh, you put a deck in your hands you've never played, and then you just top eight or win with it. Um, <laughs> so... How do you find these delectable decks to play, and how do you make that choice before we get into anything else? Well, well, I, you set yourself up perfectly with this question. I did. I really did. <laughs> uh, but And this is not planned. I mean, the question was planned, I think. Here yes, 100% it was. Uh, but it's you. Will, you're the yeah. reason that I, 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 I do so well. Uh, I don't have that, a lot of knowledge of the format, but Will does. He's got his finger on the pulse. Well, and here's what I'll if say. If I need a deck, Will's mm -hmm. my man. Well, this is what I'm going to say to that. I do provide you good decks. I do think I have a pulse, but your play style and your knowledge of magic in general, I think, carries you to more success than any deck um, I could choose for you. So, starting on that, how did you find magic initially? Kind of take me through finding magic, kind of what you've done with magic, and then how you eventually jumped into pre modern. Okay, well, I have, I have kind of a long history with magic. Um, uh, so when I was about seven or eight years old, uh, well, I have an older brother. Let's start there. I have an older brother. He's about three years older than me. And he was in Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts and all that stuff. So he has a lot of, he had a lot of friends from that at the time. And we played, I would play like Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon cards with my brother a lot. Because I was like, oh, he's older than me. I want to do everything he does and be just like him and all that stuff when you're a kid. Uh, so when he was in the Cub Scouts or the Boy Scouts, one of the two, uh, some of his friends were like, oh, have you ever heard? You like to play Yu-Gi-Oh! You like to play Pokemon. Have you heard of this game called Magic? And my brother was probably like, I don't know what he said, yes or no, maybe. But they introduced him to it. And so he brought it home from like playing at camp or just like when he would meet with them. And he's just like, oh, I'll get my little brother to play because, you know, we already play Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff. And so I didn't know anything about the game. I remember the very first deck that I bought 
was a fifth dawn precon deck. It was like this blue white artifact deck with the cards Synod Centurion on the front. It's like a four <laughs> mana four four. That mm-hmm. if you don't have any other artifacts, it just dies. <laughs> um, yep, yep. Uh, so I had that deck, and then my brother bought some like Champions of Kamigawa starter deck. It was like a demon deck, like a black red demon deck. Yep, I had that one. Oh, so you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, but he didn't really know the game very well either. So we bought those decks and we were at my grandma's house. And we like were just pl- putting all the cards on the floor in like in the living room. And we were just trying to figure out what the hell any of these cards did or how they worked at all. And so mm-hmm. we would like play a game, not knowing the rules, but we had a great time. And so f- I was like, seven or eight years old i think at the time this was 2004 so i think i was yeah eight and so we played for a little while had a lot of fun and then i didn't play the game for like years until i was a senior in high school and then a friend of mine was like hey nathan you ever heard of this game called magic i was like oh yeah i played that when i was a kid and it was really fun but i haven't touched it in like 10 years you know because now i'm 18 Mm -hmm. So he's like, oh, well, we should play again. So I'm like, oh, sweet. So I like dug up my cards and unfortunately nothing really of value there because I started playing like after alpha and beta (laughs) and all that stuff. So I didn't have Mm -hmm. anything crazy. Um, So we're playing some games with my friend and I was like, this game is really fun. I can't believe I stopped playing this. So I wanted to like get, I don't know why, but I wanted to like get more into the competitive scene like right away. Uh, But I didn't know what that entailed or anything like that. So I just kind of looked into formats that would be kind of fun for me to play, uh, and I found Modern. And so I chose to play Modern like immediately in 2014. Uh, I went to college, and that's where I spent my money. Some of it, not all of it, mm-hmm. but some of it. Mm-hmm. So then I started playing Modern like competitively. I would I played Infect for like two years, and then they banned Cataxian Probe. Uh, so I couldn't play that anymore. But then I had like a good basis of cards where I could like kind of move on to a different deck. Mm-hmm. And then so basically since 2014, I've been playing Magic like not like super competitively. I'm like not trying to get on the Pro Tour or anything, but I love going to like NRG events that are in the Midwest here, if you know about those. And I like to now I like to play pre-modern a lot. So um, that's like my history with the game. And then pre-modern is... Well, last year was when I first heard about it. Uh, I was just at Misty hanging out, and I think it was you. It was either you or BK who was like, I was like, what are you guys doing? I think you guys were playing, and someone had Parfait. I think it was BK was playing Parfait, and I'm like, what the hell is this deck? What What is this even doing? Like, what's the mm-hmm. goal of this? And so I thought it was kind of cool, and then one of you two told me that there was a tournament coming up, I think it was like a week after I saw you guys playing and it was like, Oh, it worked. The winner gets a Mox diamond and you get to do whatever. So I'm like, Oh sweet. If I could borrow a deck, I'll play. That seems like a sweet prize. And Mm -hmm. uh, I just love playing magic. So sure. Let's do it. So that's how I got into pre-modern. And then that was the event that I won (laughs) at Misty (laughs) was the one for the Mox diamond that I had no knowledge of the format about. Uh, BK just handed me, parfait oath like the morning of and 
the deck was solid and it just like did really well for me and I ended up winning the event. So mm-hmm. that brings us to now, I guess. And then I took second place last week. So good times with pre-modern. Yeah. And so you would you you alluded to kind of sort of the energy stuff. You would be what I would consider you know, a decent level grinder of magic at this point. You know, the the meaning has changed over time. It's no longer PTQs, but your NRG, your RCQs, th- things like that. You you have do the modern grinding, and how, as a person who's very familiar with newer magic, how did it feel picking up pre modern and the play styles? of it what were your initial impressions kind of judging it if you do judge it at all against more modern magic um i hear a lot of times people say you know it's very much less uh play draw dependent um you're not always you know there's more play to the game you're not oh i know i'm just out of it now so it's just inevitable what what could you describe that difference as because i think your perspective is probably pretty unique yeah I think, well, to go off of what you said initially, I definitely think that there is less games in this format where uh, one person is going to just get ahead and just take off and like just run away with the game on their own. There is so much less like snowballing in this format, as I would call it, I guess, where mm-hmm. like even if you're playing against Parfait is a good example because you know, that's a deck that like slowly squeezes you until mm-hmm. you kind of are just out of options. But like, there's a lot of games against Parfait where if they play a land tax, but they don't have a scroll rack, yeah, they're still doing their thing, but they're not like totally up and running. So you can still like fight back and kind of play on a different access to mitigate the fact that they're missing a couple of their pieces. Mm-hmm. But like in newer formats like modern and I guess pioneer to a lesser extent, but especially in modern, it's like sometimes someone will just play something and the game becomes all about that one card that's been played. Like Omnath is a good example in modern. Um, Or I guess the one ring is kind of the new thing now from the Lord of the Rings set. Like that so quickly runs away with the game if it's just left unchecked for like even one turn. Um, Mm -hmm. so the gameplay in this format is much more, I guess I would say forgiving in the fact that like no one is playing cards that are just going to like blow you out on their own and just are so much better than everything else. But to speak from the gameplay perspective, it's like totally different. Like pre-modern is so like, it's, it's funny to say the cards suck because there's a lot of good cards in this format. Um, Mm -hmm. comparatively to like newer cards is maybe where people would say, Oh, these cards suck, but like the cards aren't high impact. So it's really interesting to try and get the most value out of the cards that you have. And so you have to like, think a lot more about, Oh, what can I do with this counter spell? Or what can I do with this, this lightning bolt? You know, those are just like good cards on their own, but you have to get a lot of value out of them and like choosing your moments to use these cards is uh, a really fun puzzle to put together and you know insert that for all these other cards that exist yeah i think that's great like things like a land tax while powerful in what we do in pre-modern it's like you compare that to a land of i cast uh primeval titan 
go get lands. There's a Valakut and like things are happening. And that's even older references now. I'm sure it's even much more powerful now. That's how old my uh, experience with modern is in, in quotations. Um, so, yeah, I think I agree with it. And when I've talked to you and when I've talked to there's a crew of you guys here, a crew of friends. Shout out to Aspa, Dylan, Drew, Ray. Great guys. I keep trying to convert uh, to pre-modern, not necessarily as a main format. Um, making pre-modern your main format is probably more difficult for somebody who's played more modern magic um, just because they, some of the nostalgia does drive you in wanting that. But I think I refer to to all of you as like, for you guys, it's like a palate cleanser, right? It, it's like you don't have to focus all your time on it, but when you do get to play it, it's so different or decently different where it's like, oh, something different, play an event. Okay, now I can go back and... I got a, uh, I think a bunch of you guys are going out to an NRG this weekend, right? Yep, yep. We're going yep, to so, the one in St. Louis. Yeah. Yep. So you know, palate cleanser tournament. Okay, do that. Have a lot of fun with a great community, and then we're kind of out and about, and here's jumping into the more modern stuff. Is that an accurate description of how it feels for you when you play the events? I think palate cleanser, you've said that a lot, and I think it's a really good description, but I think it's, maybe this is the way that I interpret the word or the phrase, but palate cleanser makes it seem like it's a a short little thing that is only there to bridge you to the next, uh, you know, modern tournament or whatever. Sure. But for me, this is like, I would call it more of a vacation, you know, like when I'm playing modern or when I'm playing... I don't really play a lot of Pioneer, but even to when I play Pioneer, it's like sometimes it feels like a slog playing modern. You're just like, you know all the cards that you're going to play against. You kind of know all the decks you're going to play against. and You just kind of get bored of it. At least that's how I feel. And lately that's how I've been feeling about modern is like it's just kind of boring and repetitive and it's all the same. Mm-hmm. But then there's a pre-modern tournament, you know. This is a great – this is a vacation, you know. I get to take a break from the monotony of modern And I get to go have fun in pre-modern land. Mm -hmm. You know, I get to cast Goblin Lackey, Scroll Rack, Mox Diamond, Phyrexian Dreadnought. You know, all these Mm -hmm. super sick cards that I didn't grow up playing with. But Mm -hmm. I do have like kind of a weird nostalgia for them, even though I never played with them when I was younger. Because I didn't know any of those cards existed. Um, But they're still really fun, powerful cards like... I mean, I was playing Dreadnought on Saturday, and a one man, a twelve, twelve man. That's <laughs> that's hard to beat. That thing is sick. Yep, yep. So when you you won your first Misty event you played in, playing uh, Parfait Oath. This was the Parfait Oath of uh, Rich Shade design from um, Lobster <laughs> yeah. Con of actually last year. It's yep. and then you played it at the next event at the first uh, pre modern our Midwest pre-modern championships. What did you end up? I think you pretty much played the same list. What did you end up going in that second event? What did you end up? Uh, I I don't think I played the exact same list. I believe I switched some of, I think I put a swamp in the deck and a couple Mm -hmm. duress in the main and Mm -hmm. an engineered plague. Yep. Yep. Because there was something about it. I was like afraid of it. I think I was afraid of elves. You always told me that 
elves is like a terrible matchup for parfait at the time and, it certainly was and so i was like i feel like i have to put an engineered plague in the main just for mm-hmm. elves because i was like sure. so afraid that i was going to lose to elves and i don't think i played mm-hmm. against it but that was what i was thinking so the whole deck was like basically the same but i think it was just like a slight splash of black to play a few main deck cards mm-hmm. and, and i don't you, recall my it- record from that one were you in contention for top eight? But I, I seem to recall. Did you have a, any draws in that event? I can't, I can't remember what you did. But I think the basics of it was, the main thing you said to me afterwards when we were talking is like, you love the deck, but it's like you, you're just not losing, right? You're just not losing a game. You're not winning, and I think exactly at that second event. I think I saw a little bit of frustration because I think you like you couldn't close it out. Long, longer days uh, can get to it. So after that, for you, we were on the search of uh, what is a deck that closed out faster. So initially, initially goblins was the path I chose and I thought would be good for you. How, how did you mm-hmm. find goblins to be in comparison to parfait? Yeah, well, I want to touch on a, really quickly the parfait thing. It's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the deck is incredibly strong. I mean, the I did not believe that the land tech scroll rack engine would was anything because i didn't know about it but like the fact the the amount of cards you get to see is unreal it's crazy you just get to draw like nine cards every turn it's insane Mm -hmm. and i love that i love drawing cards um but yeah the problem was like i just felt like some games you just you're you're not losing because you've got like ivory tower and scroll rack and all this stuff and you're gaining 10 life a turn but you still got to win the game at some point you know Mm-hmm. So, goblins, I thought did a really good job, obviously, of closing the game out. Like that's its whole goal. It's like I'm just gonna play this lackey on one, or this fanatic on one, and then play a pile driver on two, and just try to put as many goblins into play as I can. Mm-hmm. And uh, the l- turn one lackey. This is some people have said this. And it's kind of true, and I kind of agree with it, but like Turn 1 Lackey is kind of like the Ragavan of this format. Mm-hmm. Like, if you get to play a Lackey on one and they can't kill it and they can't block it, and you put basically anything into play off the Lackey, especially if it's Siege Gang Commander, you're just like miles ahead. It's unreal how far ahead you are. Mm-hmm. And also, Thanks. Mog Fanatic, what a card. Oh my God. Yeah, you, didn't get, you didn't get to play with the damage on the stack, though. That, that was even better. Oh, God, damage on the stack mod fanatic must have been insane. Yeah, it made math difficult. It's interesting. But so you played it at an event. Uh, there's a shop out in Milwaukee, in the Milwaukee area, Sly Patch. Shout out to them and the events that they do. Uh, you came in second in that one as well for a Mox Diamond. So you're essentially just playing pre-modern to get your play set of diamonds at this point is what your goal <laughs> is, right? Is that what you're? Is that what I'm hearing? That is actually my goal. I'm not going to lie. That's that's my goal. I don't know what I'm going to do with a place at a Mox Diamonds, but I do want to win them. If yeah, you put a Mox fair. Diamond up for a pre-modern tournament, I'll be there. Yeah, that, that's what we like to hear. But you'll be there for Outmax Diamonds, but the diamonds never hurt. Um, exactly. So I think we were – you did really well with that. So I was – I think when we started talking about this one – you did not seem sold on goblins 
or or we were testing something. I think I threw it right against uh, blue white control, and it wasn't going well. At what point did you decide goblins was not for you, and we were looking for another option? Uh, I just like my blue cards too much, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah, is funny because okay. Parfait like hardly plays any. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but like just in my core, I'm just like a blue player. I love Counterspell, mm-hmm. Daze, Force of Will, Impulse. You know, you name the blue card, I want to play it. Right. And so I know about land still, but that deck again seems like it has – it could have a, an issue like Parfait where it's really good at not losing, but mm-hmm. closing the game out is going to take some time. Sure. That makes sense. And I think we saw at the event a decent number of uh, matches go to time with Parfait, with land still. So there's definitely a time element to it. Mm-hmm. So what what feelings did you get in your gut when you saw Blue-White Dreadnought? When I think I, I can't remember if it was sent to you, if you, I showed you somewhere. What what thoughts went in your mind when you went, ooh, 12-12 and Gush and Counterspells? Uh. Well, it was yeah. You sent me the list that I ended okay. up playing. I just changed one sideboard card. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember playing Parfait. Oh, this was yeah. This was the second time I played Parfait when I like splashed black. Um, mm-hmm. I remember that tournament at also at Misty was there were a lot of Stifle Knot decks there, and I'm pretty sure okay. like one or two of them top aided, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm, uh, there were but, two of us in the top eight. Yep. Yeah, and it was mono blue, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, both me and Lester were on mono blue, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is correct, but I remember playing against Stifle Knot in that event like twice in the Swiss, and I felt like that matchup was terrible, like, <laughs> like almost yeah. unwinnable, like because they just have so much free counter magic. And, like, the Dreadnought mm-hmm. kill is so fast, you know? You have two turns to answer that thing, or you're dead. And right. maybe you can buy a third turn with Parfait if you have, like, an Ivory Tower or some Zurn Orbs in play, but it's still really fast. Mm-hmm. And so this might not be the greatest line of thinking, but I was like, I won with Parfait the first time. That means this deck is the best deck in the format. So mm-hmm. if someone can play a deck that can beat the best deck in the format then that deck also has to be really good. Yep. So there was that seed was in my brain from that tournament, but I didn't really think about it that much. And then, <laughs> this is not a bash against Sam Black, but I've played against Sam a few times in pre-modern events and then also in some uh, RCQs, and I cannot beat Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't do it. it it's like we're... He, maybe Sam doesn't think this, but it's like I'm we're nemeses, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My goal is That's to just hurdle. beat Sam in a match, you know. Um, but I was like, Sam plays Parfait, and if I can beat play a deck that is good against Parfait, then maybe I have a shot at beating Sam Black. Yes. So there was that element of it where I was like, okay, Sam will probably be playing Parfait. So if I play Dreadnought, then I'll have a good matchup if I get paired against Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, I've just been told, and I've seen it before, but Meddling Mage is just such a, like, what a card. You mm-hmm. know, you just name something out of your opponent's deck, like swords, and it's like, what are you going to do now? 
I'm just gonna be much with this in two a lot two. of kit. In a lot of ways, not much. So mm-hmm. yeah, so you you get this. We find a list for you. Um, shout out to uh, Itai. He top aided last lobster con. Shout out to Fran, who is out at Misty for engineering this archetype. Um, yep. Shout out to Fran. Thanks for brewing the deck. <laughs> yep. He got it together, made it work. And as much as I'll give uh, Fran crap for it, um, it is better than the mono blue version. I'm just stubborn. Um, oh, yeah. But so you pick it up. You didn't play a game with it before the day. As far as I know, I don't even know if you goldfished on it on like Moxfield or anything like that. But uh, uh, I'm pretty sure. No, I didn't. It do just that. got handed to you. Yeah, take yeah. Us, take us through the day, kind of how you were feeling uh, going into it. Was there? Do you get nerves in general at events? Like I find, even though I found success in this format, like round one, I always have nerves. I like if you have a good round one, or round one almost sets the tone for the day. Do you get that at all? Or do you get that when you play new formats, or is that something you've kind of mastered through your uh, Magic career? Uh, I wish I could say that I've mastered that. Uh, I don't think I ever will. Uh, But yes, I definitely do get nerves at tournaments. Sometimes even, it's usually, I agree with you, it's like round one can really set the tone for the day. If you win the first round, that really puts you on the right foot, and you're feeling good about yourself, for Mm me. Um, then usually you can just, or what I do is I kind of just coast until I start doing well again. And then it's like, Oh God, now the pressure's back on because I'm a, I'm a winning in away from top eight or something. Right. And then the nerves right. come back, Got but, that. um, nope, lost my train of thought. That's all right. <laughs> we got, I got your back. So yeah. So round one, you're, you're winning. I, I got of checked in with all the guys during the day and the number one thing you, I kept coming back because you, because you were. Did you go four four zero ID in? Um, no, I did lose one match. I can't remember who it was to, but I did lose one match in the Swiss, and okay. then I was four and one going into the sixth round, and I was paired against mm-hmm. Robin, and mm-hmm. we were both the top two. Uh, foreign mm. ones so we were just right. like let's just draw you know chances are we'll probably get in so right. oh i lost to caleb that's right i lost to caleb durward he was on uh blue white tron <laughs> also that shout out awesome. to caleb <laughs> yep so kind of a killer's role of an event but the thing that really struck me is and you can tell me how you felt with the deck going forward after this is like the big thing, I think I watched you playing against Aaron Dix. He was on Sly. I think you, unfortunately, uh, well, fortunately for you, unfortunately for my boy Aaron, beat him in about 10 minutes, maybe 15. Um, it was a fast match. <laughs> yeah. At which point you were like, well, I guess I can go get food. How was that feeling? T- tell me about like kind of those feelings, how the deck felt. Um, and just the difference between playing that and parfait at an event that is, you know, five plus rounds. Well, both stifle Knot and parfait have a similar feeling, but in a different way. And that's like, sure. you get to a certain point of the game where you're just like, there's no way that I can lose. And I love playing a deck that puts you in a position where you feel like you can't lose. 
And I know that's a mm-hmm. dangerous position because sometimes you can lose from those points. Sometimes you get lied to. Yep, yep. But I like stifle not because it puts you in that position way faster than parfait. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. If you're playing parfait oath, sometimes you put an oath into play on like turn two or turn one and you're like, okay, I win. You know, because your opponent's on goblins or something and they're just dead. Um, sure. But stifle not is like way faster. Some like just thinking about the game against Aaron Dix, I didn't know that he was the sly guy when I sat down to play against him. <laughs> um, and I don't know why, but I was just like, this guy's going to be on control. He looks like a control player. Now I know that that's wrong, but mm-hmm. he played a Bloodstained Mire and then fetched for a Jackal Pup. And then I was like, oh, this is really good for me because <laughs> all I need is like a Dreadnought to go with whatever stifles in my hand and we're off to mm-hmm. the races. Yep. Sure enough, I drew the Dreadnought, and I was like, great, perfect. Turn two Dreadnought, stifle it. I know a red deck in game one has no way to answer this, and they're just going to die way faster than I will lose. Yep. So that was like the big sell for me after that happened uh, in round two against Aaron Dix was the deck can just win so fast, and the – the fact that you get to play these like free counter spells, you know, you play days, you can play gush, you get to play foil and those cards all work so well together that mm-hmm. I just loved the way that you could like play your dreadnought. You mm-hmm. don't have no lands in play or no mana available, but you're like, I'm still rolled up here. I've got a days, an Island and a foil in my hand, play whatever you want. I got it covered. Exactly. Um, so that kind of seemed like throughout the day, um, by the time you kind of got into the the top eight, uh, actually, before we do that, was there any? What were some challenging parts to the deck? Obviously, there are some uh, free wins. There are some things like that. But uh, take us through uh, any of the challenges you may have had throughout the day. Things where maybe the deck stumbled. Things you noticed from an outside perspective. Um, what what did you glean about? some of the harder parts or the parts about the deck that don't make it so easy. Some of the things that I think would be really good if I were to play more of the deck is I think there's more value to get out of uh, vision charm, especially uh, stifle is pretty good. You know, there's a decent amount of fetch lands in the format or like, you know, uh, there were a couple matches where my opponents had like a seal of cleansing in play and you could stifle the seal of cleansing or like against Aaron Dix again, he had the, uh, what's that one mana goblin where if it attacks and it's not blocked, you can pay a red and shatter an artifact vandal. Vandal. Yeah. Goblin. He had a vandal and I stifled the vandal trigger. Um, so like stifles are like a little more obvious what you can do with it. But Vision Charm, I feel like, is a really interesting card because all of its modes are, like, totally relevant. Mm -hmm. Like, the phasing out obviously combos with the Dreadnought. That's why it's in the deck, mostly. But you can phase out your opponent's stuff. You know, if your opponent has a Dreadnought, you can phase it out. If your opponent has, uh, I don't know, Scroll Rack, I guess you can phase that out. Maybe that buys you the turn you need. Mm -hmm. If you somehow, like, port your opponent... Um, and you look at the cards they have and you're like, I don't want them to have any of these. You could mill them with the vision charm. 
Um, in a way, if, it, if you're lucky, you can time walk your opponent with the uh, land changing mode on mm-hmm. Vision Charm. So I think that's really interesting that that card has like a lot of play and it actually has a lot of like, I think all of its modes are relevant or they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most of the things that I sort of struggled with with the deck is that though Dreadnought is really powerful, obviously having a 12-12 in play on like turn two is insanely powerful. Mm-hmm. But you are two for wanting yourself to do that. Like if you stifle the dreadnought trigger and your opponent just like swords to plowshares it, that can be really hard to recover from because you just get two for one, and now your whole hand might be like completely empty. Or it's like maybe you have a portent and a gush, and in a few turns you can maybe set something up together. But if you like blow your load, so to speak, too early, like you play the dreadnought thing without really thinking about how you're going to back it up. Mm-hmm. You can just throw a lot of games away. Yeah. So, like, the power comes at a cost, as you know, as most people know, is what I'm trying to say. You got to be really mm-hmm. mindful about, like, when you're choosing to play this Dreadnought. Yeah. And one thing I have advocated more for, and I've tried to, you know, talk to you guys about it, is pre-modern is a format that truly reflects understanding what decks do uh more so than i think any format i've truly played in recent memory it's you gain or lose so many points by knowing that maybe in some situations it's best to in your case vision charm instead of siphle because with vision charm you can untap get you get an untapped step to protect it whereas stifle is just in play and can be gotten um when is it important to know in dreadnought um we'll talk a little bit more about this about the finals but when is it important to push a dreadnought out there early or is it more important to play complete protect the queen and you know i'm only going to get one dreadnought one dreadnought only and then that matters that's it um how do you do you think that's probably an accurate feeling have did you feel there were sometimes when you were playing that not that you couldn't handle the situation, but maybe didn't quite understand exactly what the game plan was or the optimal decision was just from oh, lack yeah. of experience with said deck. Oh yeah. There were definitely times, especially against, um, uh, parfait. Cause I played against Trevor in the semifinals and Sam in the finals, uh, mm-hmm. both on parfait decks, different parfait decks, but you know, similar. For me, it seems like against Parfait or like a control style deck, Landstill more. Um, sometimes it's hard to like, to me, to like assess who is supposed to be doing what in a given game. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, if you just look at the two decks, it's pretty obvious to say, okay, Parfait or Landstill is the control deck, and then Dreadnought is the beatdown. Mm-hmm. But the texture of that is like so messy when you actually get into the games like Mm. sometimes you feel like you can kind of play a controlling game with stifle knot because you just have so many counter spells like it plays four counter spell three days i think four foil like Mm -hmm. that's a lot of counter spells so waiting for a dreadnought while you have all these counter spells kind of maybe incorrectly sometimes tempts me 
to be more of a controlling deck, even if I should be the beatdown. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of difficult to assess those based on the game, but typically I follow what you would kind of see from the outside where it's like, okay, I'm trying to be the beatdown deck and you know the parfait deck is trying to be the control deck. But this changes a lot because then obviously if you're playing against goblins or whatever, I would say you're more the control deck rather than the beatdown. But you just have mm-hmm. this really cool like heel turn where you can just all of a sudden win. Right. That makes sense. So playing through the day, we got to four one and then you uh, drew with Robin into the top eight. How are you feeling going into this top eight versus uh, the top eight where you won as far as energy level? Cause I think that's tr- a real big thing for those who haven't played a lot of tournaments or are not used to bigger ones is like, I have to assume you felt more rested kind of going into that top eight than uh, your previous win, right? Just because of how quickly you can close out games? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I was feeling much less, um, I guess, fatigued going into this top eight than the one with Parfait. Because, yeah, the game sometimes, like sometimes the stuff will not, I'm not trying to make my opponent sound like, they're dumb or whatever, but like sometimes you just have games that are like, no, nobody really played. I just did the turn two dreadnought thing and I mm-hmm. won, you know, there wasn't yeah. really a match to be had. So there's not a lot of thinking involved. It's just like, Oh, my hand is uh, two islands, stifle dreadnought days foil. And then some other card you're just like this. Mm-hmm. And I know they're playing goblins. So this is obviously going to be a really good hand. Gotcha. So we get to the top eight round one. Or in the top eight, you is it? Who did you play first? Was it Caleb again? Uh, no, it was Fran. <laughs> it was Fran. That's right, Fran. First yeah. off, um, Fran, who traveled in from California, uh, did you guys have any fun at the expense of he's playing against his creation? Was that was there much joking around? He he's always struck me whenever I talked to him as a guy who just has fun in the match and just kind of joking around. Was it a pretty laid back atmosphere in there? Or, how, how did that match feel uh, going into it? Well, kind of like with Aaron Dix, uh, I didn't know that Fran was the blue-white Stifle Knot guy. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I recognized Fran because uh, he used to stream a lot of Modern, and he was a big Titan guy. And so I heard about him from Dylan, who you mentioned earlier. Uh so I knew about him, but I didn't know that like in pre-modern, he was like a big dreadnought guy. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we definitely had fun during the match. He's just like a really cool guy. Uh, I was glad to meet him and play against him and use the deck that he designed so well. Uh, <laughs> it was great. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. We were kind of joking about it with him afterwards, after I had found out that he was the blue-white dreadnought guy. Gotcha. And how did that match go? There was a lot going on, so I was was capable of all of those matches. Were those because blue white traditionally can be a harder matchup for most dreadnought decks? How did mm-hmm. how did that quarterfinals play out? Um, it was pretty fast. Okay. I don't I don't remember the exact uh what happened in each game, mm-hmm. but I remember that I was able to win both game one and two pretty quickly. Okay. I don't remember exactly how or what happened, but 
he didn't see a lot of standstills. I think maybe there was one cast in the whole match between both uh-huh. games. And game two was especially brutal because I had a fast dreadnought. And, oh, there was a standstill in game two. But he missed his uh, fourth land drop for like three uh. turns in a row. And in the end step of one of his turns, when he missed the land drop again, I think I impulsed because mm-hmm. I was just missing one half of the dreadnought thing. But the rest of my hand was like a lot of protection. So I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to crack the standstill in his end step, force him to discard, do my dr- stifle knot thing, and then just like hope he misses maybe one more turn of his land drop. And then I'm just like mm-hmm. golden. So. I did that. He cracked the land still, drew some cards. I did the stifle knot thing. And then uh, I think he found his fourth land shortly after that, but it was just like too little too late for that. So I got mm-hmm. kind of lucky in the fact that he missed a land drop, like a really crucial land drop. I'm pretty sure if he would have hit his like fourth land drop on time, it would have been a much, much closer game. And I might not have even won. But the fact that sure. he missed his land drop was like huge in that whole game. Gotcha. Um, in game one, I don't really remember a lot about it. Uh, it wasn't as fast as game two, but mm-hmm. there was some back and forth uh, between us. And yeah, I don't remember exactly what happened in that game. You could maybe ask him. Sounds good. Well, hopefully we can. Uh, so then you you win there. You move on to face Trevor, another local Madison guy. Shout out to Trevor. His second top eight in a Misty event, by the way. Yep. I'm 90% sure. Yeah, I think so. Um, um, so Madison guys, uh, shout out to all of my Madison guys and anyone trying to come in from these New Yorks, these Californias, these wherever you're coming from, uh, back off. You're not winning. So relax yourselves is all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, love to all of you, though. Yeah, you come to Madison. We don't play around. Yeah, no, we, we got we got hitters. We got but big no, hitters. That's okay. <laughs> we got big hitters. But uh in, in the series, just uh, love all those guys. Um, I like the kind of friendly competition of regions and people going here and doing all of that. But you're on Trevor. I The thing I distinctly remember about this match is it was a game two. I think did you won game one, right? No, I lost game one. You lost game one. So we were on game two, and I don't think I knew that, but when I looked over at one point, you looked like you were in like the worst position ever. And at it some was point, not good. Dylan was just sitting there watching you intently. I'm like, what are you watching for? This game is going to be done in like two minutes. And I turned back at some point because I was watching um, uh, Sam versus. Uh, um, I cannot remember. I cannot remember the gentleman's I, name. I want to say Richard was his name. I think it was Richard. Shout out. Hey, Richard, if you're listening to this, can you reach out to me? I've been trying to find you. Would love to have a conversation. Mr. Uh, T. Mr. T. Um, But at some point, Dylan looks over to me. He says something like, he won. He's like, okay, that sounds implausible. But you did win. Tell me about that second match. Because you look like no chance. No board presence few cars in hand trevor had all the stuff going on what what happened well there was against parfait especially most of the time it's like people just don't concede and 
when I was playing parfait, I was like, why aren't people conceding? They should just concede. They know they've lost. You know, like it's I haven't uh-huh. won yet, but it's so obvious that they're gonna lose. Right. And maybe Trevor was hoping that. But the only reason I kept playing is because he didn't have a scroll rack for like a really long time. Mm-hmm. He had Lantex and he had Aura of Silence and he had, I think maybe there was a seal cleansing in there somewhere. And then eventually he drew a Sylvan library, but there was no scroll rack. It was just like things that made it really hard for me to Dreadnought and, you know, some things that killed a Dreadnought and a Lantax if I kept playing lands. But I was like, as long as he doesn't have this scroll rack, I still have a chance. Mm-hmm. And then, so that was my goal. And then my hand at some point was like triple Dreadnought and I think triple Counterspell. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm really in no rush to play this Dreadnought. And right now it seems like he's trying to find some piece to like get the game like locked up a little bit more. And I was mm-hmm. like, if I just tap out for a Dreadnought, then it's going to be really hard for me to come back in the game. Because if I play the Dreadnought and then he plays a scroll Rack, it's over. Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of waiting for a lot of turns to be like... If he plays a scroll rack, I'll just counter it, you know, and I'll just do this until I think I'm in a point where I can either like play Dreadnought and hold up Counterspell or like maybe draw a Meddling Mage, which I did, and like play Meddling Mage on Plow or Meddling Mage on Scroll Rack and then just Counterspell to protect it. So mm-hmm. there was like not a lot going on, and that was my game plan for a little while. And then I was thinking about it a little bit more, and maybe I could have sussed this out sooner. But he had land taxed a few times and didn't have any way to, like, return those cards to the deck. So his mm-hmm. hand, if you watch the video, which you can watch, uh, I don't know if it's on Cloud Goat Rangers YouTube yet, yep. but go to Cloud the Twitch. Ranger. Shout out to uh, Mike, right? Yep, Mike Hoyt. Yeah. Um, but he just had a bunch of basics in his hand from land taxing a couple times. Hmm. And so at some point, I think I, I finally was decided to be like, okay, I'm just going to play my land and go for a Dreadnought, even through this Aura of Silence, because I don't know why I decided that was the right time, but I was like, now's the time. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then so he land taxes after I play my fourth land, and I, he either gets one land or zero. And I was like, oh, this means his hand is really bad, because it's like all basics. Mm-hmm. And I look like if you look at his graveyard, it's not a lot of lands. Like there's some fetch lands in there, and then there was like a scroll rack that I countered and some other thing. And I was mm-hmm. like, his hand is really bad. He's got nothing in his hand. So I played the dreadnought. He gets rid of it, and then luckily enough, I just top deck a meddling mage. Mm-hmm. And so my hand is like, I don't remember what was in my hand, but it was some counter spells. So I was like, great, I can play this meddling mage. Name plow. So don't have to worry about that at all. And then now I can just hold up these counter spells to prevent him from playing a scroll rack or an oath or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so Trevor, I think, got a a bit greedy with his uh, Sylvan library because I understand why he would pay life because it's like it's so easy to find an answer to this meddling mage if I just keep drawing cards. Mm -hmm. And he did have land tax going, so he could shuffle it theoretically. Um but he paid a lot of life to that Sylvan Library. It was like, I think he, he I think he paid 12 to the Sylvan Library over the course of game two. And that shortened my clock so much with the Meddling Mage in play. Mm. 
And so okay. I think it just kind of broke the right way where he just drew a lot of blanks for a lot of turns. And mm-hmm. I drew some pretty good cards for a lot of turns. And the meddling mage naming Plow, I don't know. I don't recall if that was really that good. But I just had a meddling mage get in the red zone with some counter spells. And I ended up getting there, which apparently everybody thought was impossible to happen because uh, Dylan could not believe that I won. And it sounds like some people, like BK and uh, Mike, when they were commenting, they are like, I don't think, why do we even put him on camera? Nathan's just going to lose here. And then I ended up winning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, it is an example of playing to oust, being, why being observant is important. So, um, there are certain situations where you probably should concede, but in untimed rounds, there is really no reason to concede unless you truly know you have no outs because opponent can make a mistake or possibly in the case of Trevor, shout out to you, Trevor is uh, make get, maybe get greedy with a Sylvan library. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're able to do that. You take game three there. So then you're on to the final with your nemesis, as you say, Sam Black. <laughs> um, yeah. So Sam's deck, for those of you who haven't seen it, is you take the good parts of Parfait, <laughs> or land tax engine, you take some counter spells, and you take Dreadnought pieces, and you shove them together in a deck. And you oath up Dreadnoughts, or you just play them on turn one, or you play the land. It's, it's a long, long convoluted process. It's um, beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. I love it. I want to play that deck so bad. It looks awesome. <laughs> All right. Do you want to put it together and play it? I mean, if you <laughs> promise to come out and actually test, I'll put it together for you. Yeah, I want to play that deck. That deck seems so okay. sick. All right, then we'll do that. But so you sit down with Sam and Sam is a very amazing magic player. But the few times I've got to play with him in testing and in match, like, he's very fun to play against. It's not like he's I mean, I don't know if he's any different in NRGs or things where stakes are higher, but mm-hmm. you can tell he's concentrating, but he's not. He's a nice guy. So how did the match feel just playing it just uh, against the caliber of opponent, the decks being thrown against each other? How did that feel? Well, to speak uh, first, just from the, the caliber of player, it's like this is Sam Black we're talking about. Here. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my first loves of a deck uh, was the Blazing Shoal Infect deck that Sam put together for the first modern pro tour in 2011. Mm-hmm. Got that card banned, Blazing Shoal. Um, <laughs> so, like, I've always been a fan of that deck. For some reason, I just always thought that deck was sick. So mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of, like, Sam's deck building because it's so outside of the box. And it's, like, things that people would not think of. But he puts right. it together and it works. Like, so often it just works, which is amazing. And then there's also that level of, like, this is a pro tour level player. This is a, someone who is a professional at this game. So this, th- I mean, that's, you know, you sit down against a regular opponent and you're like, maybe they're good. Maybe they're not. Who knows? But you sit down against Sam. You're like, I don't even have to think. I know Sam is good. Mm-hmm. So there's like that pressure there already where you're like, I already feel like I'm behind regardless of what's going on because it's me versus Sam. Gotcha. And then no, also, heard, go ahead. oh, go ahead. No, you go. No, you go ahead. I was right. something else later. <laughs> and then I was just going to say that, uh, and I had seen the deck in action because I think it was like round two or something. I'm sitting 
at table two and Sam's at table one. And Sam knows that I played parfait a few times and I just like stifle not somebody and kill them. And Sam is like, oh yeah, it sees, it looks like you've gone away from parfait. I was like, yeah, I have. And then he's got all the parfait pieces in play. And then he quickly just goes like, Dreadnought Stifle. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you've also moved on to Dreadnought. And I'm like, yeah, but it looks like you couldn't give up the parfait pieces. And he's like, why would I? They're the best. It's like the best engine in the format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that was kind of funny. Uh, so I was like, oh, man, Sam is like so good at parfait too, especially because like every iteration of it just seems to be getting better in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this seems tough, but you know, we'll see what happens. Sure. Now in that finals game one, uh, did you take it or did he, I cannot remember. Nope. He got game one. He got game one game two. Was it just a straight to game two or was it, I thought it was three games, right? It was three games. Yep. Okay. So you were able to get it. Now that last match, the things I wanted to talk to you about is what you were thinking game plan wise, because you'd seen it for two matches. You kind of know what it's doing. And that deck is different because it's fighting on two different axes. Um, you know, the, the engine and then a quick dreadnought. So you, it's hard to fight. What was your game plan going into game three after you'd had kind of two games against it under your belt? What was the plan there for you in your mind? My plan in game three was like sort of the same thing as game two. Cause like mm-hmm. game one, uh, it was really weird because there was some point where we both had dreadnoughts in play mm-hmm. and that's a really difficult, uh, thing to parse out. Cause you're like, am I supposed to be attacking? Are you supposed to be attacking? Uh, this mm-hmm. isn't really good for me because Sam can just oath or uh, not oath blessing back the dreadnoughts. So theoretically there's mm-hmm. an infinite number of dreadnoughts on that side. Uh, and for mm-hmm. me, there's only four. Right. So my game plan going to game three and two was like, I need a fast dreadnought and I need it to be protected by like an annul so I can stop a land tax or I can stop a scroll rack or an oath or something. Um, and then also just have like a generic counterspell, like counterspell or foil mm-hmm. or daze and just hope that this dreadnought that I play on like turn one or two, well, not turn one, turn two or three, mm-hmm. uh, can be backed up by just the right amount of protection. And I can just close the game out really fast because like with most parfait, if you let them, if you just, if the game continues to progress it's only going to get worse and worse for you. It's only going to get better for the parfait player. So my game plan was try to keep a hand that had a fast dreadnought and some form of protection. Gotcha. And did that plan, you know, start to feel like it was working or did it feel like, you know, maybe I called it wrong and we're falling too far behind trying to fight that battle? Well, I still think that the plan is, that's the plan you have to have. Right. The protect I, the queen and just go for it. Yeah. And I think you have gotcha. to be a little bit. Yeah. I think you have to be a little bit reckless. You know, maybe your hand's not mm-hmm. perfect, but your best shot is to play a fast dreadnought. Right. And it obviously didn't that. work out, but I don't know if I had the hand that, 
you know, I did have a hand that was a quick dreadnought, if I remember correctly. Um, but it just didn't, it didn't work out. Maybe the, my hand didn't line up against Sam's very well. Um, gotcha. So, but regardless, so you were playing that match. Uh, it didn't kind of go in. Sam's decked his thing. At one point I was watching from the other side. I think he had like all four of his swords and like a foil or something in his hand at one point. And it was just like, well, keep fighting, buddy. But <laughs> it was an amazing run uh, to see you make. So after that, it's done. Um, what did what did it feel like afterward? Because a lot of us kind of got together, uh, and this is where the community parts come at it. Because I don't know what you typically do after NRGs, um, because you're usually with friends. But how did the atmosphere, both at the event and then after the event, feel? Uh, kind of just take take us through the emotions of the day afterwards and kind of where you ended up as you got home that next early morning presumably <laughs> um and as you kind of put the head on the pillow for the evening where were you at well i was obviously disappointed that i didn't win the mox diamond because mm -hmm. like we said before i'm just trying to win a play set so i mean you're getting closer i'm getting very close i've been like this close every time uh, mm -hmm. And then also, this is people probably don't want to hear this, but I want my friends to sign the Mox Diamonds once I win them because I signed mm -hmm. the first one that I won, which is ill-advised financial advice, and I would mm -hmm. not recommend anyone do that because it's bad to do that. But I don't care; I think it's fun. <laughs> yep, there it is. We like that. Um, but I'm still very happy that I ended up uh, coming in second place. That is still a very good turnout or uh, a result, especially in the face of the top eight that was there. Uh, Fran is just a good player in, uh, regardless of the format, but I know that he's really fallen deep in love with pre-modern lately and has a lot of passion for it. So playing against him is certainly uh, quite the obstacle. Uh, Caleb obviously has been a prolific Magic player for a long time. Uh, seeing him in the top eight is great, but also another roadblock. And Sam Black, not to mention it, you know, it's like this is like a stack top eight. Mm -hmm. So to get there is really something, and to make it all the way to the finals is another thing. So I'm I was very happy with myself for doing that. But mm -hmm. uh, immediately after it happened, I was I was disappointed. I was like, I really wanted to to win. I really wanted this Mox Diamond. Mm -hmm. Um. But luckily, uh, I think the the atmosphere or like the players that play pre-modern, and maybe it's because there's less, uh, I mean, I am a young person, but I'm not like super young. I'm 27. But like there's less young players at the pre-modern events. Usually it's like people in their 30s or their 40s. So maybe that has something to do with it. But like everyone is so nice. Everybody is so welcoming everybody is there to like have fun, but also be competitive. There's like a really sweet balance that falls there of like the people are trying to win, but they're also just trying to have fun. And that really comes across in every pre-modern tournament that I've played at because they're small. The people know each other. Um, the format is super fun and nostalgic and it's just great to play with all the people and like, hear all the different kind of cards that exist and it's just great. I, I love to play the format because everyone is so great. It's like 
you don't really get that, at least for me personally, at like these bigger energy tournaments. It's so much harder to have like a community around it, even though I know that there's a lot of good people there. But it's a lot more challenging because there's 300 people in an event and a lot of the people that come there are there just to play and win. You know, they do not care about who is there or they don't care about who is doing whatever. They're like, this is a 10K. I'm playing for the money, which is respectable. I mean, that's why I'm there Mm -hmm. too, you know. But it's like just such a different feeling. Um, And it's great. I love it. This is like half – I would say this is even more – than half the reason of why I play magic. Uh, it's about mm-hmm. the people and you'll hear that from everybody. You know, it's more about the people than it is about the game. And I still love the game, but getting to spend time with people and have fun and make jokes or just like have a good time is like so important to the game. And pre-modern has that in spades. Awesome. Well, Nathan, we are kind of coming up on our time period here. So, I, at the beginning of this episode, asked you three questions. This is our um, usual ending. So, Nathan, first off, with your experience in pre-modern, what is the most overrated card that you've come across in pre-modern? Well, despite playing them in my deck, I think Meddling Mage actually might be a little bit overrated. Okay. Why why is that? I'm not going to lie. The card is really good, but uh-huh. it is a card that it only stops one other card, right? Unless you have multiple. Sure. 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 But like, it's not, uh, it's not quite the surgical tool that I think people think it is. Obviously it's really okay. good if you're playing against like a survival deck and you play your meddling mage and you name survival. Obviously it's going to be good there because the deck is called survival, so it's not really going to function without it. But like mm-hmm. against Landstill or Parfait or like even Goblins, uh, it's going to be so difficult to make that card function. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, what do you name out of Goblins? They're probably going to have their Lackey in play, and if they do, uh, it doesn't make doesn't make sense to name Siege Gang Commander. Doesn't make sense to name Mog Fanatic. I don't know, like. The card's very swingy and it is powerful, but I think it is rated a little bit too highly. It's not quite as good as as, as some people say it is. All right, all right. So most underrated card that you found in pre-modern. Hmm. See, this one's harder because... I don't know. I'd say opt, maybe. Okay. I like that. Why, why do you think opt? Just for... Do you think it's an efficient cantrip for what it's doing or what do you think? Yeah, I'd say the efficiency of it. Like I really wish that card was, uh, it's been replaced in modern by consider, which is like almost Mm -hmm. the same card, but you surveil one instead of scry one. Sure. Um, but I've always loved opt. I think it's like a really fair cantrip and I think it's just like a, a good solid card and if i was going to play stifle not again i would probably play four opt instead of four portent i would probably switch the numbers really and do, and do four opt and two portent but Ooh, i just hate portent. spice maybe i maybe hate it's just portent? like my. i just think that card is awful 
<laughs> the fact oh. that you the fact that you don't get the card immediately is like forget about it. I want the card now, that okay? Is, uh, oh man, you new age <laughs> magic players. Yeah, so uh, opt. People should enough. play more opt, I think. Uh, all right, all right. And then what is a card that you know is in the pre-modern field that isn't banned because I know you checked the ban list that you think, you know, why isn't this card broken or why can't we break this card? Hmm. There's one that's coming to mind and I guess it kind of probably depends on who you're asking if this card is broken or not, but, uh, Alluren. Okay. I mean, yes, that is something many people work on. Why do you think it should be broken or needs to be? Well, I think the way, the reason that it should be broken is like literally on the card. You just get to play creatures for free. Mm-hmm. Like at any time. At any time. You just get to play them. Play your three drop or less. It's free. It's on the house. You're good. Like the card is so strong. Like it pays for itself and then some. Like the turn you play it, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And also, I think the debt, the format, uh, from what I've seen of it, is like it's just really lacking, like a combo deck, like a really mm-hmm. strong combo deck. I know there are combo decks that exist. There's Folingish Breakfast. Um, I don't know what you call the deck that's like, uh, with the Dreadnought and Greater Good. I know there's um, Fluctuator. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's like a there's lot all of them. these, there's a lot of them, but I feel like a learn would be or should be the most the most powerful because you can play it, you can ramp into it if you're playing Llanowar Elves or, uh, you know, Findhorn Elves, and it seems like it's one of those things where it's like you get to have a really good board presence if you don't have a learn mm-hmm. because you can just play all these creatures anyway and you can attack mm-hmm. and do whatever. But then if you have a learn, all of a sudden your deck is now a combo deck. You get to just kill your opponent the turn that you go off and there's nothing mm-hmm. they can do. So, right. I'm not the person to ask to build this broken deck, but I just feel like a learn <laughs> is like, someone's got to do it. Caleb, what are, you, what are you doing right now? You got to build a learn again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he can build it as much as he wants. I mean, I enjoyed playing it or against it went well for me. So, you know, maybe that'll make me play burn again, but no, I think Alluren's up there with mine of like, how do we break this in a way? And I think a lot of it comes down to Alluren is just expensive to cast. Yes. And susceptible to many of things that are running around. So yeah, also Curse does... Totem exists. Oh, Curse Totem, yeah. Also, I will say Alluren does line up pretty poorly against a Null. Yeah, that's not like, great value. That's pretty rough to get your four mana spell countered for one. That's tough. Exactly. Okay. All right. Well, Nathan, that kind of wraps it up for us. Um, any kind of final words do you have? Um, I know you're not a big social media guy to my understanding, but do you have any any shout-outs as far as any social media, anything you want to say, things of that nature? Um, what, what you got for uh, the community before we get going for the night? Um. No, I don't really have social media. I do have a Twitter, but it's like almost never used. Um, so I'm not even going to mention it because I probably won't even use it. 
if you want to see anything from me, you basically just got to look at pre-modern tournaments uh, or NRGs as I play more of those. You might see my name pop up every now and again, hopefully, uh, at these tournaments. Um, mm-hmm. Or if you live in Madison and you come to these, you'll probably see me there. That's about it. Sounds I'm awesome. not a social media awesome. guy. It's not good for me. <laughs> I understand that. That's all. <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day to come do this bit of social media and talk to people. Um, thank you for being part of this community. Uh, as always, we're going to keep seeing you at events. Um, so, guys, uh, for myself, for Nathan, uh, shout out to everybody in pre-modern. All of the different podcasts, I keep doing this, but keep finding uh, the um, All Things Considered, Pre-Modcast, the Spike Colony podcast, um, the Czech pre-modern community is popping off. I told them I was talking to one of their guys today as I go ahead and pull this up. I apologize to them. I have it, I swear. But there, there's so much going on on youtube and everything else if you are looking to find your way into this format you can um yes this was um yep on youtube check modern magic go ahead and check out their videos uh they're working out in prague as well so nathan again thank you for being with us everyone thank you for listening we're going to catch you next time more content coming from everybody from the midwest pre-modern championships. Take care and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks everyone.